Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. It's so good to be with you. You know, I, Liz and I spoke at Family Life Marriage Conferences for a long time, and we always used the story of, uh, of President McQuilkin and his capacity to serve, and that's what I got to know about this university. And then you all went off and stole the finest president in America and brought him down here from Ohio. But uh, Mark Smith is, is a fellow that left quite a hole in our state. He was appointed by the governor to be on the, the State Board of Education and things. And so I've looked forward and am somewhat intimidated by uh, being with you all. And uh, you know, being in college, buildings don't have personalities, people do. And uh, when you remember your college experience, it's based upon not what the building said, but what the friends and the people. And so you are the part that, that makes this university. And when 10 or 20 years from now, uh, people will look back at their experience and they'll remember the impact that you had on their lives. And so it's a, a real honor for me uh, to be with you for these few moments. I'm going to talk about freedom. Freedom is a three-legged stool. You ever had a three-legged stool? One leg's missing, you're in trouble, son. So freedom is made up of three parts. There's economic freedom, and uh, w without any money, you're, you're enslaved. So a little five-year-old says to his mother, he says, I, you know, I'm fed up the way this place is operating around here. I'm, I'm gone. I'm grabbed his teddy bear and storms out. And the mother stands behind the curtain and watches. He's not going to any place because he has no economic freedom. He's as tied to that house as if he was tethered. Now, had he said, oh, by the way, I got in your purse. I took $500 in a credit card, and I'm out of here. That'd be a whole different ballgame. But so it, 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 there has to be economic freedom. Then there has to be political liberty. And so if you're a multimillionaire, but you're in jail, uh, you're not free. You might have money, but you don't have political liberty. And then, of course, the other parts of it, none of it matters if you're spiritually bound. And if you don't think so, then uh, all you need to do is just take a trip to Hollywood sometime where people have unlimited, quote, freedom, unquote. But they do not realize that freedom comes in the way God established things to work. And when you do things God's way, you prosper. And so he said that the righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is, a what is sin? Sin is anything that separates us from God. Sin is a reproach to any people. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So if you run your personal life, or you run your home and your marriage, or you run your country by God's way, there is prosperity and blessing. And that's basically what we're here to, to find out. And there's a competition that goes on with all of that, and that is to want to do things my way as opposed to doing things God's way. So when our founders got together, 56 of them, for the first time they, the world had operated a certain way, and when they started reading the scriptures, you know, poor old uh, Bloody Mary started attacking the folks in the, in the church in Scotland, and so Calvin and and uh, uh, his, his buddy there, uh, Knox and all, they went down to Geneva to escape getting their heads cut off. And so they're hanging around the scar Starbucks there in Geneva. And they said, what do, you, what do you want to do? And they said, well, why don't we translate the scriptures into modern English? Said, yeah, why not? Let's do it. So they started doing it. And after a little while, they said, you know, we got to be able to figure out where these things are. So let's start numbering the, the paragraphs. And so they did. And so prior to the Geneva Bible, there was no John 3.16. And once they did that and the 
and the common man could read it, then you can watch where those scriptures go. And there is an explosion in art and literature and culture and Mozart and Beethoven and Shakespeare and, and all inventions and sanitation and all these things. But as they're continuing to read, they begin to see, you know, also government says, there's no bloodline, there's no land, there's no, makes you more important than me. It says that God made us. And so it began to build and began to build until finally, from the beginning of time, slavery, for example, was ubiquitous. It was everywhere throughout scripture, everywhere there was, until one day, 56 Americans signed a piece of paper that said, we hold these truths. We'll get to it in a minute. And from that day forward, they began to do things God's way. And of course, it's been under constant attack and there's constant competition. And as you'll see, we're going to talk about truth here in just a second. And you'll see that truth really offends people. But when, when they did this little 4% of the population call themselves Americans, 96% are not Americans. And yet that 4% every year writes more books, more plays, more symphonies, more copyrights, more inventions than the other 96% combined. There's a, there's a ship parking in Hong Kong and in Singapore at this very moment using a global positioning system conceived, invented, and maintained by America. There's airplanes flying over the continent of Africa where they have socialism, which is government control. So therefore, since nobody owns it, it's all atrophied and falling apart. They're using the global positioning system to decide where they are. There's, <clears throat> there's a Mercedes dealer in Buenos Aires using an internet to order parts from Stuttgart, Germany that was conceived, invented, and maintained by uh, Americans. There, there are skyscrapers all over the world. Why? Because an American by the name of Elisha Otis invented the elevator. And there are places where it's 100, 120 degrees. Why? Because an American by the name of Willis Carrier invented the air conditioner. God love him. And they, for thousands of years, people would hope to someday fly. It was the Americans who invented the airplane and the light bulb and the telegraph and the telephone. And the list goes on and on more than, now why? Are they smarter than anybody else? Do they work harder than anybody else? Interestingly enough, all of the more Americans have gotten Nobel Prizes than the rest of the world combined. But half of those Americans that got Nobel Prizes were not born in America. Now what happened? Did they come to America and get smart? No, they came to America and got free. And freedom creates independence. So I don't have a monitor and you get to see this and I don't. So I'll, I'll periodically turn my back on you, which should be a very bad thing to do ordinarily. But uh, also, there, I'll bet there's a, there's a way that if I bless this in a certain manner and I push this button, something will happen. Nah. Are there any Pentecostals in the, in the room? They could lay hands on this baby and make it work. They, uh, it, uh, does, it, does it take a while to, to get with the program? Um, because uh, we do want to we, we resolve this if we can. Um, all right, it, it, um, maybe if I just scratch my ear, you could make it go. Um, okay, let, let, let's do this. The next one you're gonna love. This is gonna be great. Three, two, one, love it, there it is. Okay, and so, so when, you, when you go to vote, you only vote on two things. I don't care if it's in Boston or Baghdad or Buenos Aires or Belgium, you only vote on two things. That is, you're going to vote on integrity or economics. 
politics is his pie, hang on. Integrity plus economics. What is integrity? Integrity is made up of two parts. Uh, it's made up of morality, and I define morality as not doing what's wrong, it's what's on the wall, thou shalt not steal, shalt not kill, you know, other things that, that are hard on relationships, uh, shalt not covet. But morality is basically um, not doing what's wrong. And so in order to be moral, you can lay in bed all day and be moral, but uh, it, it, integrity is more than that. Integrity performs the task for which it was assigned. You say that this platform has integrity, or you say a stairwell has integrity, or a bank has integrity. It does what it's supposed to do. And integrity is not doing what is right. So morality is you don't do what's wrong. And so somebody's picking on someone. Integrity is doing what is right. And that's where it's really important. Important to know what is the definition of doing what is right. And there's only two, two definitions of what is right. And one is what God says is right, and the other is what I say is right. Next slide, that's good. And so when our founders got together, they came up with the idea as to who's going to say what. And that is either I say what's right, or God says what is right. The Bible says, that in order to run a government, you do three things. Number one, you have to have a standard, and that is it's either you or me, either God or what. And so he said, the first thing you want is to fear God. And so this, the principle, <clears throat> and secondly, lovers of truth. Now, truth is, is important because as you watch Oprah, they say that your truth and my truth. Now, uh, there, there is either truth or there's not. And you and I can say that this room is 45 feet wide. You can say it's 50 feet, and you can say it's 35, and you can say it's 100. And we'll just be pleased as punch. And we can just talk about it all we want, and we can have white, white papers, and we can go to the faculty lounge and discuss it at length. And uh, yeah, a hammer will be good. Uh, and so, so then uh, we can decide until somebody comes in and measures it. And when a person measures it, that measurement is truth. Everything else is just opinion. But the significance of it is that truth reveals error. So I've said three times the room is 65 feet wide. Somebody comes in and measures it, find out it's 50 feet wide. Everybody in the room knows that what I said was not true. Therefore, error hates truth because truth reveals error. But it's even more than that. Truth overcomes error. And so you're uh, prosecuting this guy for stealing a, an ATM machine. And his defense counsel gets up and said, why, well, he wouldn't do such a thing. Why, well, he loves his mother. And he was off in Portland having dinner with his sister. And here's the receipts from the rest. You don't care what she says, because when you're finished, you're going to show a security camera of him driving his pickup up to the ATM. And you'll see him put a chain around the ATM. And so now, so, so what is truth? And so we've got to decide what, what, what is truth, who, who says. So, so we said about, about truth, it not only reveals error, it overcomes error. That's why error hates it, because it's more powerful. So you say all this stuff, and then you get up, and, and you're going to show a video cam of him stealing the ATM. You see his face as he leans over the camera, got the fingerprints as he lifts it up. And the truth will overcome the error such that the only way she can succeed now get this, the only way she can succeed is she has to prevent the presentation of truth. So I object, I object, I object. That's why you can go on virtually any college campus and you can say the most bizarre, crazy, goofy things in the world and nobody cares. But you say truth 
And Satan can tell where truth is, whether they're going to shout you down. That's why you can't have a conservative on a, on a, on a faculty. That's why you can't have, have someone come speak, because the truth will overcome the air. I can pray at an inaugural in the name of Mother Earth and eagle feathers, and nobody cares. But if you pray in the name of Jesus Christ, all hell breaks loose. Why? Because truth exposes error, and error cannot tolerate truth. So they have to shut it down. Now, our founders understood that part of the two sources of truth, either what you think or what God says, and so they, they nailed it in the birth certificate. We hold these truths to be self-evident, <laughs> which is a gracious Jeffersonian way of saying, any idiot ought to understand this. That is self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by a five to four decision of the Supreme Court. No, 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 are endowed by their creator. Now there it is. You go back either my way, either my truth, either what I say or what God says. And so they didn't want to mess it up. Well, our created ego endowed by the creator of certain inalienable rights, among those are life. You say, no, 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 this is between a woman and a doctor and I want government involved in the bedroom. No, you're in the wrong country, honey. Because in America, the purpose of the government to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. The purpose of the United States government is to protect innocent life. <laughs> now notice the sequence, life then liberty. See, liberty is of precious little value if you're dead. So you have to have life first, then liberty, and, and then the rest. And let me just tell you, you have a right to ask anyone who's running for office, running for school board, running for sheriff, how do you stand on life? Well, I, I'm, I'm going to be a city councilman. I can't have anything to do. It's none of your business. No, you're in the wrong, forget it, son. You're in the wrong country because it says in our birth certificate, the purpose of government is to protect innocent life. And any politician who will take innocent life will not hesitate to take your liberty. And so, this is a spiritual tie, is so strong that he, God said we want those whose basis for their standard of right or wrong is those that fear God. Fear is the old English term for respect or honor. You fear the king or honor the king. So first of all, you have somebody whose standard is God. And just as an aside, the only alternative to that is yourself. And the rule of thumb is that you do not want to marry a person who thinks they're God. So you want somebody who respects God. And by the way, you don't want to go into business with a person who thinks they're God. And Jethro said to Moses, you don't want to go to have anybody who runs government who thinks they're God. Now, the three things you want in government, those that fear God. Number two, lovers of truth. Okay, we've talked about truth. And then finally is this, hating covetousness, wanting to take what somebody else has. And that's what we want to camp on just for a moment. The difference between how a person creates wealth or how a person steals wealth. And that's, that's the whole difference. What is money? Money is a representation of a contribution that I've made to someone else. You see a four-year-old walking down the street with a $1,000 bill, you think something's up here. You, you shouldn't have that. Because money says that I've done something for someone. So you walk into the shoe store and, and the, uh, you say, how much are those shoes? I'd like to have them. And the shoe store operator basically says this, what have you ever done for anyone to entitle you to those shoes? You say, well, I, I mowed Widow Johnson's yard. 
How do I know you mowed Widow Johnson's yard? I have this. What is that? That's a $20 bill. It is a representation of a contribution that I've made to someone else. So, well, that wasn't a big enough contribution. These are $60. You, you can do that in, in 30 minutes. It takes three hours to make these suckers. When you get $60, when you've mowed Widow Johnson's yard three times, then you'll be entitled to get the shoes. So money is a representation of a contribution that we've made to others. And so the greater the contribution, the greater the reward. So we figure out where the reason you go to college is to increase your contribution to others. You go out and sit on a park bench, do nothing for anybody all day, you'll have no, nothing to show for it. But if you invest, if you plant corn, if you harvest it, if you educate yourself, if you increase your capacity to bless other people, the greater the contribution is, the greater the reward. As you, you go to a, to a body shop and the, here comes a wrecked car. It takes no skill to take the car. So the first thing you show on your first day, say, take all the broken pieces off. You can do that, take a hammer and take it apart. But then little by little, how you get the new parts and how you align the, the, the frame and you do all the other parts, take more and more knowledge, the greater the knowledge, the greater the contribution, the greater the reward. That under free enterprise. We're rewarded in, in the proportion to which what we do for others. Now, as <clears throat> let us suppose this is why politics and freedom and wealth are inextricably intertwined. Why are some countries rich and why some countries are poor? Why is one side of the Rio Grande you have abundance, the other side of the Rio Grande you have utter poverty? It's important for you and I to understand that because the people that we choose, the decisions that we make will determine whether or not a country survives or prospers, whether a city survives or prospers. And here's the principle and you'll never forget it as long as you live. Let us suppose that this represents 100% of the income of any city or any state or any nation. Let us say that it represents a $100 bill and that you go into Target and the most expensive thing in the store is $99 and you have 100, that means that you're completely free to choose anything in the store. You got it? Okay. Let us suppose someone comes along and takes 25% of it away from you. It leaves you with 75%. What happens? There are some things you can no longer choose. Thomas Jefferson said freedom is having choices. The more choices you have, the more freedom you have, obviously, right? And so the more money I take away from you, you have fewer choices, you have less freedom, and you have a lower standard of living. Like I say, unless, unless you've, you're, you're from the Northeast, you know, a college that, that tells that if government takes your money, suppose you're better off. Uh, they keep trying to sell that. Politicians do it all the time. But you and I know that if you take money away from you, you're worse off. So if a person comes along and takes 50%, leaves you with just half, what happens? You have fewer choices, less freedom, and a lower standard of living. Let us suppose someone comes along, and takes 75%, leaves you with, what happens? Even fewer choices, less freedom, lower. Suppose someone comes along and takes it all. What we call a person who works all day long, keeps absolutely nothing, that person is called a slave. Now, there are two people that can come and take money away from you. One is called a criminal. He has a gun and can take money away from you. And the other is the government has a gun and can come and take money away from you. And the impact is the same. 
So you go to the pay window, you pick up your money, you walk across the parking lot, a fellow comes up, puts a gun in your ribs, and says, I want 50% of everything you got. You go home, sit at home with your wife and children, you say, this is how much money we have for food, clothing, and shelter, the kind of standard of living we can have, the kind of car we can drive, the vacations we can take, or you make it all the way to your pickup, you open up the paycheck, and you see that half the money's already gone, government's already been there, the impact is the same. So what's the principle? The principle, you show me what percentage of the GDP, the gross domestic product, and GDP means all the goods and services produced in a, in a country or a city or a state, you show me what percentage of the GDP is controlled by government, and the principle applies that the greater the freedom, the greater the wealth, the greater the government, the greater the poverty, and it only works this way every time. So politics is very a simple question, as you show me where you are, on the, and, and politics is, where, is just back and forth. You can make any rich place poor, any poor place rich. When I was in the state legislature in Ohio, we, had no, we were number one in new job creation, number one. And the governor came in and said, we can put a stop to this. And so he began to increase taxes and things until Ohio now is currently 47th out of the news. Now you can reverse it back and forth. It happens all, all the time. That's what politics is all about. And any politician that comes and promises to take something, to give you something, remember, government doesn't produce anything. Government only takes from someone else and redistributes it. And when it does that, it diminishes the person that was taken from and it rewards the person who didn't produce it. And the degree to which you do that is the degree to which the person produces it, is fed up, no point in doing it, and the person who gets rewarded for not doing it sits there and enjoys it, and the degree to which you, is the degree to which no wealth is thereby created and the country is worse off. Let's, let's, uh, let's, let's go back and, and hit, hit, that, hit that again. There's, let's say there's a car going down the street out here. There are two ways that I can get money out of that car. Number one is called free enterprise. And free enterprise is where I lay awake nights trying to figure out ways to do something good for someone such that they'll voluntarily slam on the brakes and pull in and say, you're gonna wash my car and sweep the carpeting and do the dashboard and clean the windows. I'd much rather have that than have this $10 bill. I'd much rather have that pair of boots than this $60. I'd much rather have the, a GPS that I'll never get lost. I'd much rather have that than $100. Under free enterprise, people dream up ways to do something good for someone. That's why this 4% creates all these things, 90% of all the software in the world. Why? Because they figure out ways to, so that they can then be rewarded. I use the example of my my, uh, my son told about, he had a little, a little app that showed that when you put in the flight numbers, it would tell you what gate you're coming in and what gate you're going out. I said, how much is it? He said, 99 cents. The question is, is it worth 99 cents to me to have that app on my phone for three years? Sure. Why did that person do that? Because they didn't want me to get lost in the Atlanta airport? Nope because they wanted to be a millionaire and hoped that a million of us would download the app. So under free enterprise, you figure out ways how to do something good for someone, and therefore you're rewarded. Socialism is where you come and just take it. Come and just take it. And so you always hear socialists talk about redistributing wealth, not creating wealth, redistributing, which means that's another term for theft, but nevertheless, when I take it out of your pocket and put it in mind, I've redistributed it. Yeah, well, that's, that's, what, that's what politicians do when they redistribute wealth, and the degree to which they do that is the degree to which they create poverty. Now, why, why is that? Let's, uh, there, so, so here's the final example is understanding why socialism will never, ever work. Let us suppose that you're going to buy something for yourself. If you understand this, and with this we're, we're, we're finished, this is why socialism, the countries or cities or states, 
that do this are in poverty. Because if you're going to buy something for yourself, you care about two things. You care about the price because you're paying for it. You're standing there staring at the car or looking at the jacket or the coat or the shoes or what. And you decide whether or not how much it costs and the quality. What is the reward? What's it going to do for me? And so no one can make that decision as well as you can. You might pay $7 for a cup of coffee at 6 in the morning that you wouldn't pay 35 cents for at 2.30 in the afternoon. When it's your money, spending your, you get the maximum benefit of the price and the quality. And you, you decide that, what it means to you. Let us suppose you don't control one of those two things. Let us suppose you're going to buy something for someone else. Do you care about the price? <laughs> yep, because you're paying for it. But you're a little more flexible on the quality. And so you say, oh, by the time it'll break, they'll be married for three years. They'll forget who gave it to them anyway. We'll buy this one. So you, you, you've all bought things for, for other people we never would have bought for ourselves. We've all received things as gifts we never would have bought. Do we care about the price? Yep, because we're paying for it. We're not so concerned about the quality. Now let's suppose it's the other way around. Let's suppose we're going to consume it. Do we care about the quality? Yep, because we're going we're to consume it. But we're not so concerned about the price since we're not going to pay for it. And so you, you're at the restaurant and the waitress comes along and says, would you like to have some orange juice with your breakfast? And you say, well, how much is it? And she says, well, it's $3.50. You say, oh, that's a, no, I'm fine. I really don't need any. You say, oh, but you got the pancakes. It comes with the pancakes. You say, well, that, wonderful. Pour away. I'll take three glasses. You, you, you might leave half a glass. You wouldn't if you paid for it. Do you care about the quality? Yes, because you're consuming it. Do you care about the price? Eh, not so much because you're not paying for it. So final example is this. Let us suppose that where you work, everybody that comes to work late has to put $5 in the kitty. And uh, at the end of the month, the boss has somebody take all the money and go off and raffle it off and, buy, and somebody wins and they buy something with it. And so it's the last day of the month. And he says, John, uh, why don't you see how much money's in the kitty? Go buy something and we'll raffle it off today. And so it's, you go out to lunch, you forget all about it. You come back, you don't have any time. Say, oh my goodness, I forgot I was supposed to buy something. And you counted the money, it's $150. And he said, what am I going to do with this? And you look around and there across the street in the store window is a six foot tall stuffed frog. And you go over and you check the price, and it says $149. Oh, this is great. So you go, you buy the frog, you take it over, put it in the closet. At the end of the day, the boss invites everybody down, lectures to him about being late. Everybody draws a number, see who wins. Sally, the new secretary, wins. What does she win? Open the door. Six-foot-tall frog. Everybody laughs and claps, go up and stick it in the front door, cheers as she drives through the parking lot. What is that called? That is called a third-party purchase. What does it mean? It means... You're spe sending money, spending money that's not yours, therefore you don't care about the price. If it had been $100, you would have spent that. If it had been $300, you would have spent that. And since it's not your money, you don't care about the price. To purchase something you will not personally consume, therefore you don't care about the quality. Now, they say in public speaking that when you say something profound, you're supposed to pause for emphasis. So I am now going to pause for emphasis. Because what I'm about to say is not Democrat, Republican, Socialist, Demo Party, Labor, uh, Christian, Democrat. This is just the facts. All government purchases are third-party purchases made with money that's not theirs to purchase things that we're not personally consume. Therefore, will there be waste in the highway department? Absolutely. Will there be waste in the defense? You can count on it. That's why we believe in America, in order to keep things free, we believe that government should do, as Abraham Lincoln said, only those things which a man cannot do better for himself. Why? Because every time we take a dollar from an individual, 
to save and invest and use to the maximum benefit of themselves and their family and run it through a third-party system called government, we are in the process of making the nation poorer. And you show me what percentage of the GDP of any city or any state or a nation on that chart, and the, the more of that that's done in a city, you can take a beautiful city like Detroit was the richest city in the history of mankind. When I was young, it's now the poorest city north of the Rio Grande. You can make any rich place poor, at the same time that Detroit was the richest city in the world, South Korea was third from the bottom of all the nations, but they got freedom after the, the Korean War, and now they're the 10th richest nation. You can make any rich place poor or any poor place rich, but degree of, of socialism or freedom. And the greater the freedom, the greater the wealth. This nation is a nation that has been looked up to because it was based upon that principle. The degree to which other nations follow it is the degree to which they they prosper. After World War II, for the first time in the history of man, America became the richest nation, most powerful nation on earth, and didn't seek it. Throughout all of history, as you study throughout all of world history, the Peloponnesians, the, the, the Romans, the Spanish, the British, in order to become the premier nation on earth, you had to seek it. And you knew what to do to get there and what to stay there. America didn't, because America people respected the righteousness of its cause. And to this very day, if a, if a tsunami hits the largest Muslim nation on earth, to whom do they immediately turn for aid? Americans that come, come to their assistance. When a ship is attacked on the high seas, it's happened over 300 times last year, whether it be in the Caribbean or in the South China Sea, or whether, whether it be the rule Britannia, Britannia rules the ways British was the greatest nation on earth for 250 years. They had the greatest navy. When their tanker got caught in the Straits of Hormuz about 18 months ago, to whom could they appeal? Only the 327,000 Americans wear the uniform of the United States Navy. The United States is a standard for righteousness in the world. The same way spiritually, if you take all the money that goes for global evangelism from the entire planet, from the 96%, you increase it five and a half times, that's still not as much as this 4% gives for global evangelism. This is the lighthouse for the gospel. And that's why we are engaged in a spiritual war. Scripture says if you take a city, you must bind a strong man. There's only one strong man in the world. It's the United States of America. And the reason they want to do away with the freedom that made America the prosperous nation that it is is because it stands for righteousness and is a lighthouse for the gospel. That has now been lovingly handed to us, and we have a choice. Will our generation continue and expand it, or will you let it drop, and then there will be no place for other people to go? Dear folks in Ukraine, we started a prayer breakfast in Kiev six, weeks, six years ago, a presidential prayer breakfast. And that prayer breakfast, I've spoken at each one of the last six years, it's like every other presidential prayer breakfast around the globe, and I've spoken at probably 30 of them. They spend half of the time praying for their own nation, the diplomatic corps and the ministers and leadership and government, but they spend the other half of the time praying for you, praying for the United States of America that it will choose proper leadership because they know their freedom is dependent upon the decision you and I make. And if we make a mistake, the tanks will run over top of them because of the mistake that we made. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. You have chosen to come to a place where you recognize that righteousness is not what a man thinks, but what God says that will make you a success. And in the leadership you provide for the rest of our country, it will make our nation succeed. And for that, I say thank you, and God bless.
We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.